Welcome to episode 256 of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. Hopefully you're all keeping a little bit of your sanity throughout this quarantine. I know it's been four, maybe five weeks for me since I've been working from home, and I know some who are listening, it's probably been even longer. But it's funny because the days are honestly blending together at this point to me. Because other than a couple of things that let me know, okay, this is this day. Because we have a staff meeting on Monday. I have to release this podcast on Thursday. So I have those to help keep me in check a little bit. But it's a crazy time that we're living in right now. On a more positive note, I did want to talk about CyberCon. And you might remember from last week's show, I had Thomas Carter Rochester on who worked with CyberCon. Uh, It was this past weekend, which was a full online convention, 100% free. Essentially, you would go on their Facebook page and watch a bunch of panels, workshops. You could buy from vendors, various things like that. And it was a really cool event. And I was fortunate enough to be a part of it along with Jason Robbins, my co-host on the Nerd Cave Retro podcast. We did a panel about how COVID-19 is going to have a long-term effect on the film industry. Really fun panel, had a lot of good interaction in the chat. And that will be released for a future episode of this podcast. I don't have an exact date on it, but you will hear it on a future episode, which kind of ties into what I'm going to be releasing today. So this is a panel that I've kind of been sitting on the audio for it, just kind of waiting for the right time to release it. And I feel like now is that time. And that is the Stephen King Film and TV Adaptations panel from Pensacon 2020 that took place back in February. And this was a panel that I wasn't quite sure how it was going to go. I didn't have low expectations for it, but I really had no expectations for it. I didn't know really any of the panelists besides Steve and Jason. But it was honestly one of the most fun panels that I've ever had the pleasure of moderating. And it consists of myself, Steve Wise, Jason Robbins, Nick Flagstar Dudley, Nathan Simmons, and Bill Gibson. We talk about how we were introduced to Stephen King's work some of our favorite film and TV adaptations, and at the end, we take questions from the audience. Panels have become my favorite thing at conventions. I love moderating them. I love just being an audience member and watching the interaction that the panelists have with themselves and with the audience. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I had a blast being a part of it. And without further ado, here is the Stephen King Film and TV Adaptations panel from Pensacon. How's everyone doing? You guys having fun at Pensacon so far? Awesome. Well, my name is Derek Diamond. Um, I also host my own podcast, The Derek Diamond Experience, which this is actually being recorded for. I've got an awesome group of panelists here today to talk about Stephen King's film and TV adaptations. Not the books, but the adaptations. So why don't you guys introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Jason Robbins. I'm actually a co-host with Mr. Derek Diamond on the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast. I also wrote a, a film called Monsters Anonymous that uh, was filmed very close to here, and we actually showed it here a few years ago, but you can find it on Amazon Prime. And uh, that's about it for me. I'm also a comedian, so hopefully I'll say something funny while I'm up here. <laughs> Uh, my name is Steve Wise. I am the programming director for Pensacon. That's why I'm a kind of all dressed 
checked out like this. Uh, I'm also a filmmaker and I uh, have a film actually that Jason starred in that uh, has been making its rounds. It's actually playing in Moscow, Russia tomorrow. <laughs> Hello, I'm Bill Gibson, and you may know my significant other, uh, Christine. Woo. She was here at the opening of Pensacon at one point. That nice 58 Plymouth car. So uh, <laughs> we officially tied the knot several years ago in Bangor. <laughs> uh, the cast flew out from Los Angeles, and uh, the actual writer of the film, the script came off and married us together on Halloween weekend. I was dressed up as Ed the Clown. She always wanted to marry somebody, so the clown, she got one. <laughs> Um, I'm Nathan Simmons. I'm a freelance writer, do uh, comic book reviews for a couple different websites, write for a couple video game websites. Uh, I'm also a local actor and general Stephen King uh, enthusiast. <laughs> I'm Nick Flagstar. I lead Nick Flagstar and his Dirty Mangy Dogs. We're a rock and roll band. We sing a lot of songs about horror movies. And uh, I also host a radio show in Fort Walton Beach called Small Town Riots on 103.1 The Shark. It's a local music uh, show, and I as well uh, adore Stephen King and write songs about some of his uh, books and some of the movie adaptations. So. Fantastic. So before we get into the actual adaptations, you guys were all obviously introduced to Stephen King at some point. So how were you introduced to Stephen King's work? And what was your first Stephen King book that you read? Mm -hmm. The actual first book I read, or actually, because the thing is, I actually saw started seeing his movies first. I think the first movie I ever saw was uh, Maximum Overdrive when I was a kid, and uh, that really got me into the world of Stephen King. Because of course, I don't know if anybody remembers the rumor when we were kids uh, about how he got bitten by a bat and that and yep. he got rabies and that's how he came up with all these weird stories and like <laughs> never heard that one really i was fascinated if anybody's never if you've never seen it the trailer for maximum overdrive is the Excellent. greatest thing of all time yeah. because it's literally him just like there, there's almost no footage from the movie. It's just Stephen King being like, you're not going to believe what I've done. This <laughs> well, in, in the trailer, he actually said, this is a moron movie. Yes. And he was right. right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. But, uh, as far as adaptation-wise? Yeah. Well, for me, it was uh, reading the book was Carrie, and then, of course, uh, right afterward was Christine came in. I said, oh, geez. And it, it, it just so happened... At the time of the writing, while it was a number one bestseller, uh, Stephen had contacted Richard Kobritz, the producer, and it was the movie went right into play. And uh, December 9th, 1983, came out same time while it was on the list, and the passion was flamed right there. At that point. <laughs> yeah. Actually, um, my first movie that I ever saw was Carrie, and that was the edited for television version because I was too young to watch the actual R-rated version. <laughs> Oh, I was waiting for I another. <laughs> I'm do it again. Um, for me, oh dang. Uh, yeah, for me it was. Um, I read The Gunslinger when I was 14. Because my dad was talking about this. Just he he was describing this story to me, and I was like, I can't figure out. I, I I can't wrap my head around what this story is. It's a fantasy. It's a western. It's sci-fi. And he goes, yes. And so and, and he's like, and also it's only like 220 pages. And I was like, I'm in. Let's do this. Um, and then I, 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 that started a for maybe a year after that. It was just I was constantly devouring Stephen King books. So it was the Gunslinger and then Salem's Lot was like what really hooked me after that. It was I was just like I I can't believe this is the same same storyteller. 
um, film-wise, uh, the the Shining TV miniseries. Mm-hmm. Uh, Directed by current Pensacon guest, Mick Garris, <laughs> who, by the way, has a movie screening tonight, tonight. Nightmare Cinema. Um, and that terrified me. There's some stuff in it that I think is so good because it's so much, it's really, well, we'll get into it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that, yeah, The Gunslinger was, was the one that really got me hooked. I, uh, I saw the Cujo movie first, yes. and um, I saw it early enough that it was amazing to me when someone told me it was a book. They were like, this is based on a book. And I was like, someone wrote a book about a monster dog? How, is, how do you read about this? And so I immediately, a millionaire? Right, I me- immediately went to the used bookstore and found like a really tattered copy of yeah. Cujo that I still own, and uh, that was where I really started. But The Shining Maximum Overdrive happened really soon after that, sure. and then me and my friends got really obsessed by the It mini series when I was a kid love it or hate it we were the right age for it and it was about kids and me and my friends like we I think it happened maybe in a summer like I think it aired in a summer so we were off school so we went ghost hunting in the woods you know it it really changed everything for me (laughs) it's interesting because you know in doing research for this panel there were so many Stephen King adaptations that I didn't know were bits of Stephen King's work, you know, like, because I grew up with, like, the Shawshank Redemption, I remember watching The Green Mile, I had no idea those were adapted from Stephen King's book, so I was just blown away by it, because those movies are great, and I haven't had a chance to read those books yet, but it got me interested in Stephen King's work, and the one that I always go to is Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. Fantastic book, and I actually thought the miniseries with James Franco was very well yeah, done. Yeah, it, it was great. Yeah, it had a really good cast. You had James Franco, you had uh, Chris Cooper. Mm-hmm. Really, really well done series. And I, I remember watching it because it's very rare for me that I watch a series multiple times, but that one I did because of how well it was done. Mm-hmm. But uh, just kind of off the top of your head, what are some of your favorite Stephen King adaptations? The Stand. <laughs> yes, sure. I love it. Um, I remember I actually read the uh, the Green Mile um, because it came out serialized, yeah. the different uh, yeah. parts of the book, and I had read those and then found out they were going to be making the movie for it. And of course, you know how it is when you're looking forward to Stephen King adaptations. <laughs> they were never all that great, but that was really the one that actually looked mm-hmm. and exactly like it played in my head when right. I read the books, and I, I just... The Green Mile is probably the absolute perfect adaptation of a Stephen King story into a movie. I have a very personal connection to to the body, which was turned into Stand by Me. When I read right. the story, the the novella, it, it really spoke to me because I I shared a lot of experiences that were talked about. Not quite to that extent, but there was a lot of things that was like I relate to the character of Gordy a lot, and. A short time after I read the story, I heard that Rob Reiner was turning into a movie, and I got very excited about it, and when it came out, and I watched it, I mean, I was was still a teenager at the time, and it just, it touched me. I mean, it was just like, this is Mm -hmm. exactly what I went through reading the story, the movie captured that perfectly. And it holds up, too. It it does, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, you can go for it. Is, is this a trick question? <laughs> you know my answer is going to be, yeah, she's watching. What if you uh, like trucks? <laughs> interesting. I'm good friends with Tim Shockey, who owns the Green Goblin Head, and we do a lot oh, of so conventions dope. around uh, uh, the nation or whoever doing these. But yeah, Christine was, 
definitely by far, I had no idea it would end up as it is today. Sure. But it was really good. The book got me and drew me to it, so I had to see the movie. And uh, it, although they went totally different in a way, John Carpenter directed mm -hmm. it compared to the book and having LeBay or the ghost post. And the whole reason he didn't want to do that was American Werewolf in London had just come out and they had the rotted mm -hmm. corpse there and he said he didn't want to copy that being right out of the picture. So they didn't want to do the dead guy or you know, LeBay in the back seat. So they made the car alive. And to this day, I've had many multiple conversations with John. He's still upset that he changed that from the no. adage. Whereas I felt you know, and a lot of people that I've talked to have felt having the car actually be alive was was pretty cool. I mean, yeah. Who wouldn't want to own a car that, you know, fixed itself and you know, watched your back and everything else and became alive? You know, I can't think of Christine without also thinking of the movie My Science Project. Did oh, yeah. Because I had both of those movies on the same videotape and I used to watch them all the time. That's a, that's a double feature. So those yeah. two movies are like intertwined in my head. Uh, for me... Favorites, favorites fall into two different camps. Uh, one is quality, and one is camp. You know what I mean? Like I, I, they're, they're. I love Misery. I love Christine. Uh, Shawshank Redemption is genuinely, I think, one of the best films ever made. Like yeah. it's objectively a brilliant movie. But I also love Nick and I were talking about. We love the Outliers. Like, like there's stuff like um, Graveyard Shift is just this bizarre little monster movie. Um, yeah, a lot of Brad Dorf fans they love next door. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, great. Yeah. What, was, what was another one like? Um, it's a it's a terrible movie <laughs> by by most definitions. But Pet Cemetery Two is a lot of fun. Sure. The, with with the yeah, it, there there's some great stuff in it. There's some uh, brilliant makeup effects and. Clancy Brown's performance is completely bonkers. If you ever want to see him go like full tilt insane, it's it's so much fun. We talked to Miko Hughes on that, who was in first Pet Cemetery, and he he says same thing. Yeah, but loved it because his it goes his, it, his phone is ringing for this. Sure, and it swing it swings for the fences. I mean, it it, yep. it, it that, and that, that's. Sometimes I appreciate something that takes really weird risks more so than one that's like slavishly devoted to it. But I think there's there's a case to be made for both, you know. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I like good movies and I love terrible movies. <laughs> Stick around for the defending bad movies panel. Yes. <laughs> I have two answers too, but I have two different categories. Mine are like Stephen King, um, touching, and Stephen King horror. And sure, for yeah. me, it like you, you gotta. Think like how bizarre is it that the same guy did Stand by Me and Pet Cemetery? Yeah, like that's just strange, all on its own. And those are my two, though. You know, like sure. Stand by Me is one of the most classic movies ever. It's like Pantheon stuff. That's like yeah. way up there. And then hmm. Pet Cemetery is one of those highly debatable whether it's good or not. And that's based on perspective of how you know the book and how you feel about the book and stuff. But just just out of easy stuff like Stephen King loves the Ramones and he was like I want to get the Ramones in a movie and he did yeah. that you know and it was like really cool for a young, young punk rocker and the, like the shoe the shoe rolling out into the road is just like one of the most horrible like horrifying but hilarious moments in a movie like it's so funny and stupid but it's like a, a tiny child died so those are my two you know it's like it's like little kids <laughs> being traumatized by a dead body and then a little kid being smashed by a truck 
fuck. <laughs> Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> My son is seven. <laughs> And the funny thing is you mentioning Stand By Me. Again, I had no clue that that was a Stephen King adaptation sure. as well because it's so different than what you would think yeah. Stephen King is. But it's it's a great coming-of-age story, and it's right. a very, very good film. But Also, The Running Man is also a Stephen right. King. That is, oh. yeah. Sci-fi. Sci-fi, Yeah. Let's just say that they <laughs> took the name and the general concept <laughs> yeah. and wrote an original movie based right. on that and said, well, we've got a Schwarzenegger film. Film, so let's just uh, make this as crazy and wild. I, I you know, a lot of people love The Running Man, the movie, but it is not what Stephen King wrote. Sure. <laughs> you mean um, he didn't write the line, here's Sub Zero. <laughs> <laughs> now, Plane Zero. He had I the would, split. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would love to see them do an actual. Adaptation of the story. It because is that the story bleakest. Is just, oh, it's it's it, horrible. Yeah, I mean, it's pitch dark. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it would it would be a very unpleasant but awesome. Like, give that to Denny Villeneuve to do just yeah, like yeah. a very depressing. Well, well of the of the Richard Bachman books, yeah. I mean, that one it kind of is a different one because most of the Bachman books are almost like, I mean, there, there's some science fiction in it, but they're just very. Ugly. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean it's like very gritty, almost crime drama type of type of stuff. Yeah. But this one is pure all all out science fiction, and uh, the ending they would probably have to change. Science fiction. Given the fact that uh, it ends with him crashing a plane into a skyscraper. It's the best. Yeah, I don't think that that well, would, that it, would it, it seems like it's always, to me, it seems like it's always been easier for them to accurately portray a Stephen King book if it's a shorter, like thinner. Yeah. yeah. By thinner may not be the greatest movie ever, but it's it's pretty close. Yeah. And because the, the book is like this long and the movie's like this long and they're just like, just tell the story. It's kind of gypsy. Just do the. And they, they nailed it, but like not a lot. There's not like a lot of people with thinner t-shirts on. It's not like a big fan <laughs> favorite yeah, but it's pretty accurate 1408's the same way they take yes. that that's a it's a really it's fantastic and they take like the, the the skeleton of the short story and build it out into this kind of mind trip you know i i, I think you're absolutely right sometimes they it's his short story adaptations end up being pretty cool ride the bullet usually, and stuff yeah, like ride that ride the bullet's fun yeah right. John Cusick did it. Awesome. He was yeah, so he's good. Great. In that. Yeah, yeah. Well, he came right off of uh, Road Racers, which was like almost the same character, except like in in Ride Bull, he was like dead. Yeah. Or whatever. But it's like basically that same like just like gr- greaser like thug guy. The Nailed only it. Person I've ever talked to that's referenced Road Racers, and it makes me really. Rodriguez's happy. first movie. Yeah. yeah. No. I love it. I love it. Uh, does anyone have any questions or comments they want to throw out to these guys? She does. Sleepwalkers is a blast. I, I, I okay. It, that's that's my second camp of Stephen King uh, uh, movies. Um, be, be, be careful not to criticize Mick too much. Sure, sure, no, no, no. <laughs> Since he is here today, I would say I would honestly say the 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 issues with that movie have nothing to do with casting, directing. It's just it, it has maybe the most bonkers script. Uh, it, it is it is one of those movies where I'm just like I can't consistently with every scene I can't believe people are saying the words they're saying <laughs> they're doing the things they're doing um, and then also uh, I remember wa- actually have the uh, memory of watching that as a kid and thinking 
films. I, <laughs> I, lo I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and uh, the, the, the makeup effects for the, the, the cat people are very similar. It's the furrowed brow and mm -hmm. the giant like green eyes or whatever, and I remember flipping through channels and I thought I'd found an episode of Buffy I hadn't seen. <laughs> and then a few scenes later I was like, so what's this vampire doing with his mom? <laughs> Uh, guys, what, uh, Sleepwalkers is, uh, is a trip. I always used to get Sleepwalkers mixed up with Cat's Eye. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. and the Langoliers. Right? <laughs> Nick said he was leaving if someone even mentioned the Yeah, Langoliers, Langoliers <laughs> was such a bust uh, yeah, to me. Langoliers like, is not good. It's that, just that not is. good. <laughs> yeah, the effects are so bad, really, is the worst Oh, part. you don't you don't like the giant Pac-Man monsters Gosh, at the end? but the worst reveal. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, why? Wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you know, talking about Sleepwalkers, that actually doesn't count for this panel. Right, it's not an adaptation. Because it's not an adaptation. <laughs> it's an original screenplay <laughs> that Stephen King wrote. Fair, yeah. That's true. Well, that's why so I we, asked we gotta about... We've got to make it again. We've got to um, do it again. Another one that never, no one ever really talks about, the dark half. Yeah. Remember, it kind of... Yeah. Right. And it, the only problem I found with that was that it kind of, it kind of like... The money shot was so early with that awesome like reveal on the head thing that yeah that everything else after that wasn't as scary as good but it wasn't it didn't get that really guttural reaction later. I had the computer game for the dark half, which was actually a lot better than the movie. Is that Commodore sixty four? No, it was. I had it for my Hewlett Packard back in like ninety four. That's wild. Oh. Uh oh. Oh, this scariest. Oh. Scariest. <laughs> they, they're very. That's scared. here for scariness. <laughs> <laughs> Salem's Lot. Um, I, 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 yeah. I think honestly, for me, I think Pet Cemetery is probably yeah. the <laughs> absolute creepiest yep. one. Mm -hmm. um, with the the sister, is it the sister-in-law? I had nightmares about like, Zelda for, for yeah, Zelda. Yes. That's her name. Absolutely. That, I still, as an adult, <clears throat> can't yeah. watch that scene. Without. Who was the actor that played the? Zelda. I don't remember his name, but it was a guy. Yeah. yeah. And he only weighed like a hun like yeah. hundred and five pounds David or something Bowie. like that. It was Extremely weird. creepy. I, I think for me, it's kind of two answers. One, The Shining still, the Shining. I can watch that and get creeped out. Sure. I mean, there's just something about the whole mood of that movie that um, just is very effective. Uh, Kubrick, even though he didn't go by... King's story very closely, you know, just used a very bare bones uh, story for it, but he effectively created just a creepy movie. But yeah. as far as just pure scares, I have to go with the original Salem's Lot and mm -hmm. with the, the boy mm -hmm. scratching at the window. <laughs> that just, uh, <laughs> oh, that's awful. I, I, uh, I would also add, it's, it's, it's less of a, it's less scares and more of just a pervading mood. But Cronenberg's yeah. uh, Dead Zone, oh yeah, is just yeah. it is Ugh. so it, it it it's it it feels like you're taking like a cold bath the whole time. You know what I mean? Like everything is just so uncomfortable and and dire, and it just it, it it's a very claustrophobic movie. Um, especially the sequences, you know, when they're they're hunting the the spoilers for a forty-year-old film. Uh, Frank Dodd, the 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 serial killer. It, it's just it it is a very like it feels hopeless at times, and, and that to me is almost more upsetting than something <laughs> jumping out at me. I don't know. 
we were we were talking earlier about uh, there's a newish um, one if you haven't seen yet. That may, may not be one of the scariest, but there's one called In the Tall Grass that just came out not too long ago, and it is it is legitimately creepy the whole time. It's it's like one of those never resolves that just keeps digging you deeper in, and and they also don't let you. Um, they don't give you any any perspective, any third party perspective. You are as out of the loop as the people in it. They don't know what's going on, and yeah. neither do you. And they give you no backstory. So the further they go along, it's just so hopeless that it becomes really scary because you you start to go like, is this movie just gonna not have any sort of resolve at all? And it kind of doesn't. <laughs> and it's well, you look it, at, it leaves um, you feeling bad. Did you guys ever anybody see way. Gerald's Game? Oh yeah, on Netflix. Oh. And I think honestly now, ever since it chapter one i think we're finally entering we're into boom. like a, a stephen king kind of uh adaptation renaissance like a get it a get it right yeah like everybody's yeah. redoing everything and they're finally getting it right you know and, and, I, and they're that getting makes it right on netflix which mm-hmm. is why like the gerald's game in 1922 were like a perfect but we won't punch of- we won't talk about the dark tower we'll just leave that <laughs> no no well you know that wasn't really an adaptation, so no. we can't. Uh, <laughs> also, yeah, totally original story. Yeah, they'd, have, they'd have to have tried to do the move, the books. <laughs> sort of with the new it too. It, it chapter one as as really they're bringing it out. Yeah, as, oh, as far as scary. Absolutely. Yeah, the new it's are very scary. I, you know, I'm I'm probably in the minority, but I'll defend it chapter two. I, I like that movie. Oh, I liked I like it, too. it too. It's good. In your in your camp. Needful needful things. things. Uh, I read the book and I actually never saw the the movie adaptation of it. It's good. It's just one of those ones that just passed me by and I don't know why. I just then I never got around to watch. The movie's good. Uh, Ed Harris is fantastic in it. The the um, it. I mean, a lot is sacrificed from a 800 page runtime or you know page for. I think the movie runs there's two different edits there's like one that's 100 minutes and one that's like 75 minutes it's like severely whittled down um, I, I think it's it's underrated it just it, they, there's so much missing and if you have read the book first you feel like you've been cheated out of a lot of it I feel like oh <laughs> um Yeah. And just very, very untalked, and you can see all this happening. There's all four things where it's like they like the mother gets in this locked in the basement, and she just starts screaming, and happens, and finally she's nothing wrong with her, and it's just Yeah. I mean that's a that's a good point. There was like in addition to like the you know the kind of boom of adaptations. There's a lot of movies that just are indebted to his style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it follows has a very. I mean, it's very John Carpenter, but it also has kind of a very Stephen King vibe. There's a uh, Stranger Things. Stranger Things. You're wearing the shirt. I was just gonna say yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you know, I've never. You know, <laughs> I was like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any Castle Rock fans? 
Yes. Uh, Castle Rock. Love yeah. it. See, see my girl last episode, episode seven? <laughs> we, had, we had a blast. It took us two days to shoot that few, few minutes of scene. It took us like two full days wow, that wow. you see in there. So what's the ride, the bullet car? Is that her? Did you loan her out for that? Mm-mm. Oh, that was a 59. That was in 58 Plymouth. Okay. That was a different, different yeah. thing. So that Storm of, the Century. Storm of the Century was written specifically for TV, I think. I think so. Um, Is it TV? Yeah, it's it's been forever since I've seen it. I, I I remember really liking it, really being unsettled by it, but I it's I don't remember a ton of it. Yeah, yeah. I will say Castle Rock um, was cool for Easter eggs the first. Yeah. But what they're doing now with the Misery prequel. I think it is an absolutely, like, yeah. awesome misery yeah. prequel. It's it's. I was really surprised that it, it did that. I thought it was gonna stay kind of vague, like just Stephen King world and new stories. But they just like really dug yeah. into like, you know what, you know what, this is a misery prequel. Screw it, like, and and they're nailing it. I yeah. think. I, I talked to the producer when he was there on site, and they were a lot allowed a lot more freedoms with this season and he you know he without yeah. giving me spoilers while i was there he said just wait of course there will be there will be a season three they're not to keep the things really the actress yeah, is yeah. just it's going to keep going for a while phenomenal yes yeah, oh, she did a phenomenal job yeah, lizzie kaplan yes lizzie yeah, kaplan yeah, she's great yeah. i noticed you mentioned the dark tower Well, God, the TV man. series actually has been canceled. They yeah, canceled it, it again. Yeah, it's canceled. been canceled yeah, before. I know, I know. Honestly, don't be too I, upset. I, I don't know how you would even attempt I to know. do that. I, I think you just go get... I think you, it should be done the same way Game of Thrones was done. Um... But the thing, and it's Stephen King, so it could even end terribly. Like, who cares? I mean, <laughs> but like you've got it would be true to the. You got the character of Jake, who is ten years old throughout the whole thing. So you're gonna have to sure. get an actor that's right. young, but you know, somebody that's, a good that's not gonna age that much over. I, I wonder if Stephen King wrote that after a bunch of adaptations and went, I'm going to write something they can't adapt. Yeah. It's going to be a Western and a sci-fi. <laughs> not only and that, you horror. have Stephen King himself in the oh, story. Yeah. Right, yeah, he yeah. pops in. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of depressing endings, how about The Mist? Oh, man. Oh. That's one of the... I will, de- I will defend they that toned, They toned the it down right I in the movie and it was great. still awful. Like, <laughs> I, just, I love it. The TV show was terrible. The yeah. movie is yes. great. Yeah. Well, me and Nathan were talking about The Mist earlier as like how creepy it was. But if you've read The Dark Tower, um, it becomes less mysterious if you yeah. read The Dark Tower because he yeah. like just sort of spoils his own he's like he's like you remember The Mist here's all the stuff you didn't know yeah. <laughs> like I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about it as we run a train over the entire universe and that's the you great know? thing about the Dark Tower series is because it kind of interweaves everything, everything he's ever done yeah. around the, the concept of the Dark Tower especially yeah. Hearts in Atlantis which was one we haven't really brought up which great performances in that movie too like super yeah. mysterious and creepy fantastic yeah, because even in it, chapter one and chapter two, there are references to the stuff that happens in the Dark Tower, yeah. and it's. I just I would love to see an adapta- adaptation of it. I just I don't. I don't know how. It would I don't know how you're going to do you, it unless you are committing to, like you were saying, like committing to doing years of television. Yeah. 
or like when Ron Howard was doing it, he had a plan to do a film, and then yeah. a TV series in the middle, and then another film. And I was like, that could work, and you can kind of get it all done in one year or whatever. Yeah. But it's also hard to get someone to sign a contract. To yeah, basically exactly. Work. Unless uh, yeah. you fit, you film it like almost like Lord of the Rings, where right? You right. Get right. All your principal actors and everybody together, and you just record. You just you you know, you, you know what? I'll do it. Three Let's or four <laughs> seasons, right? And I think all they're in a row. I think their big failure with the Dark Tower movie that they did is that they were like, well, since it's it's really hard to figure out how to do that, let's just do like our own story. Here's what happens after the the thing yeah, you already yeah. know. But like we're people that have read those books, they're not short, and we've read them all. So yeah. you're really dedicated to it. You want to see what you love turned into visual, I mean, and they I just guess. didn't do that. They, did they just five minute action movie. This didn't do that, and it's like okay, I get your like rationalization for how you did this, but sure. you didn't do the thing that we wanted to see. Yeah. Period. Well, yeah. and you get the feeling uh, the the director of the Dark Tower film, he was he was very diplomatic in interviews, and I think he got to a point where he was like, if I don't do this movie, someone else is going. Going to, and if this is the story they want me to tell, at least I can make some kind of stamp on this this universe. Um, and they nailed the casting. That's the thing that crushes me about yeah. that movie. Um, Idris Elba is fantastic. Matthew McConaughey is see, scarier I, than he's I ever been. I love those two actors, but honestly, I would like to have seen those roles reversed. Oh, interesting. <laughs> right. Because he, I want Matthew. Mc, I would Matthew McConaughey would also make the perfect Randall Flag. So like, that yes, was, I thought he was so yeah. good in, in Dark Tower. True. Mm. Well, you guys are talking about the gunsmith. We've had that issue about how the actors, how we find somebody who can't age through the whole process. Mm -hmm. Computer graphics are ridiculous. That's true. Yeah. Just, just Irishman, oh, that thing, man. I would also yeah. just watch an, I would watch an animated series of the guy. I mean, seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's a really good. Why all of us? All of us yeah, forgot cartoons existed. <laughs> and maybe, and, and then also maybe we're just all thinking about it as one big story That's too. True. Like you could totally do like Wolves of the Cala as a movie on its own, or the Gunslinger, and not run the whole story. You could, and you could, yeah, and you could flashback enough stuff to tie it into those other books just for a standalone yeah. that isn't just totally made up. Like the dude wrote eight books. Like then you had to write a ninth piece of well, literature to make a movie out of it. Yeah. Well, even the fourth book, Wizard and Glass, I mean, that's an entire, you know, season worth right. of storytelling yeah. right there. And then there's and Wind in the happened. Keyhole that he did later, which is a whole other story. That'd be a great movie, too. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Hold yeah. for applause. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <clears throat> the Outsider, uh, so far, is an excellent adaptation. And the, the thing is that, well, I love the book, but they capture the tone precisely in the characters. They treated the characters with respect. Mm. They weren't going cheese. They weren't, you know, going trying to um, make something outrageous. And, you know, they, they, like I said, the tone was just very creepy, very very much serious and I re respect that but it was really good filmmaking good writing good directing good acting my uh, my bandmate just wanted me to uh, just drop this in the mix and that is Haven so what do you guys think about <laughs> I'm not an I've never 
never watched it. You no, never it seen is it? An adaptation. I mean, actually, it, it's but uh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like it's like Canadian X Files. Yeah, yeah. it's really very lightly based on anything <laughs> Stephen King. But it's like it's like if X Files happened in Canada, where they have to be like really polite about the violence. And stuff. <laughs> That's what Haven is really. <laughs> They apologize during the autopsy. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's really entertaining. (laughs) Yeah. But I love Tim Curry and I love that one. I read the book like last year. It scared the crap out of me. Sure. The new adaptation came out. It was more like the story, but the scare factor for me wasn't there. It wasn't scary, but it was more like the book. I I think I think part one is really scary. I think part two has a beautiful emotional through line, and the the scares aren't entirely there for me. Aside from, I okay. So the 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 big moment from the trailer with the the old lady like running into the room. It's done. It, Stop motion scares the hell out of me. And I don't know what it is. It, lo- it doesn't look right. It's unnatural. <laughs> don't trust it. Um, and there's something about that effect that feels kind of old school. Like it reminds me of like the stuff from Beetlejuice or something. Mm-hmm. It just, there's something very unsettling. But it, it, there's an over-reliance on CGI in some places that kind of bother me. Yeah. But I, I, think, I think they're really good adaptations. They're both, both versions of it, the, the original TV miniseries and the new films. Um, that there's there's great things about both of them. Um, the cast is just unbelievable in these new ones, though, to me. The, ho- the horror in it, to me, either movie and the book, yeah. it has much more to do with their inner struggles than the horror itself. Like, the horror is, is like an extension of the things they're really scared of. So, to me, I find it scariest when you put yourself in their childhood position. And no one's it makes, to them. Right, it makes me think of things that, like made me cry and stuff when I was a child and that's the stuff that makes it really scary which is why I don't hate the miniseries even though like a lot of people hate on it um I watched the Waltons you know when I was a kid so that was John that was John boy to me and to see John boy suffer was really like me and my mom used to say like not John boy when we went to bed at night as a joke and so like that was really harsh to me to see that guy go through that abuse and, and stuff beep beep Richie when you go to bed <laughs> beep beep Richie even a lot of the written in, in and this goes not only to it, but a lot of his other representations. When you read that book and you can't put it down, and the feeling because it draws you yeah. in as a character, there's always something about that that is a, is a big difference. Sure. Well, okay, talking about it, the the they liked it. Um, the the book is so dense and it has so much complexity to it, even though it's kind of structured in a really unique way that both the miniseries and the new set of, of films did the same thing. Instead of going back and forth between the two timelines, they set one part in the past and one part in the present, which makes a whole lot of sense. But the problem with the miniseries was it was made in the 90s for television. Mm-hmm. And so they had to keep things to 
standards and practices of ABC, which watered down a lot. Oh, and I mean the opening scene with the little girl and where Pennywise was seen through the sheets, which was not in the book. Yeah, that was creepy, and and they were effective in making kind of you know daylight and balloons scary. Mm-hmm. It has a weird, almost dreamlike, surreal quality it, it does. to it. Yeah. The, in, in, in both adaptations, the best parts were with the kids. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then when you go into the, the parts with the adults, it falls apart. It's Harry from yeah. Night Courts here. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, I, I think that's something that's... In- well, and that, was, and that was part of the problem with the miniseries is that they were... They, ABC pulled from its sitcom actors yeah. to put into a right. horror film. And so you had Harry Anderson and John Ritter John, and you know yeah. people like that. You know um, Tim Reed. And Ed O'Toole. And, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. And it was just like, okay, this is kind of odd to see these sitcom actors being in a horror movie. Sure. They were great for the characters. Yeah. But it just didn't have the same effect as when you're watching little kids dealing with, with the yeah. scares. And the new mini, the new uh, movies suffered from the same thing, but had other sets of problems. Mm. I think all Stephen King adaptations suffer from one thing, and this is why it gets this. Why it's an issue we would even talk about is uh, Stephen King is notoriously long-winded in his characterizations. Right. He spends tons of time turning these characters into really real and really detailed things. So what's scary about his books is you've gotten to know this person as a human. You've created a human being. So it's not just a character getting slaughtered in a movie. It's like a character who you know their kids' names and what illness they had and all this stuff. And you just can't fit all that into two hours. And a three-hour horror movie is long for a horror movie. So it's it's, it's, it's a catch-22. It's like to to make it really right, you got to do The Shining and kind of change it so that it makes three hours worth of like weirdo watchable stuff. At the same time, you're going to lose a lot of what Stephen King wrote to make well, it really great. And, and kind of building on that too, Stephen King writes his characters to where they, they feel realistic yeah. because a lot of the dialogue is kind of goofy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people speak that way. Not it's cool. kind of goofy. Yeah. But when you have an actor say those lines, it, it just it sounds wrong. And laws, so, yeah. Oh, laws, yeah. Like, dude, yeah. just come up with something that sounds human and say that instead right. of the words he wrote. Like, don't pronounce exactly. it that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like Insomniac. I don't know if you guys ever read Insomniac. That is such a long book, yeah. but the character is so compelling. Yeah. Uh, you know, this this guy you're following, this whole story is what keeps you in it. Yeah. Because there were so many times I just put the book down. I was like, I'm never going to finish this book. <laughs> like, but I couldn't stop. I don't want to, though. That way it feels like reading a fever dream and if you have insomnia that's a great book to read <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so I've not seen the adaptation yet and didn't uh, realize it was until very recently but I was curious point of view on uh, Cycle to Werewolf oh Oh, uh, Silver Bullet. Silver, Silver Bullet. Bullet. Yeah. yeah. That's that's another one. I in love my, that in movie. My, in my camp sec- sector, <laughs> I I think it's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, yeah. Uh, Busey, man. I mean, yeah. like, Busey, he's so good in that, and the kid is so good. <laughs> yeah. Their relationship is so good. It reminded me of my crazy uncle, you know, and <laughs> like for it for the people it was made for for like early teens boys. I, it's like his wheelchair is a freaking motorcycle. This is rad. Like, it yeah. does what it's supposed to do. I actually turned man. out to be that crazy uncle, so I really <laughs> identify with that movie. And, and let's not forget that Gary Busey was in that film 
and his son is here at Pensacon. Jake That's Busey right. is a guest, so go check out uh, Jake Busey's uh, at his table. Plug, plug, plug. <laughs> Tommy knockers. Oh, Tommy knockers. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> I'm let, let, let me feel this one. Okay. Uh, yeah, please. Please. Okay. <laughs> Tommy knockers is my least favorite Stephen King book. Sure. Um, that there, there are a couple of them right during that time period that he wrote books. that he was like completely drugged out, and they just don't work. Uh, and, and so was I, the Dreamcatcher. It was in that era. Yeah. And and. I felt like there's another ABC miniseries that actually benefited from being an ABC miniseries because it was just the story could be spread out and the actors I felt brought these characters that I did not like in the book. Yeah. They brought him to life. I mean, Jimmy Smith was not who I pictured in the book. He's great in that. But though. he's yeah, really he good. And it just the ending of the miniseries was not great, but I liked, I, I enjoyed watching the miniseries because I felt sure. like it was not a good book and they improved upon it. <laughs> Dr. Sleep. I loved it. Dr. Sleep is fantastic. I thought it was incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which features Carol's, uh, Carl Stryken, who happens to be a Pentagon <laughs> guest. <laughs> I still haven't seen Dr. Um, Sleep yet. I've seen Nick Fry over a lot of Stephen King content. Cool. <laughs> Whether it be out of fear or emotion. So I was wondering what, if any, Stephen King moments have made each of you cry. I have one too, but um, I'd be more interested in y'all. The, the final scenes of Stand By Me crush yeah. me every time. I, I mean, th that movie is just full of, full of wonderful <laughs> moments like that. Yeah. Oh, and... Um, Spoilers for it chapter. Well, no, I'm not gonna spoil it. There is a there is a moment where someone um, is carving yeah. initials on a bridge, and I, uh, I I openly wept in the theater. That 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 movie actually brought tears to my eyes yeah. twice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. When John Coffey says he, he's tired, oh uh, my God. people being uh. ugly to each other, I'm just <laughs> yeah. like, I just got don't <laughs> don't <laughs> do this. <laughs> I got chills with you saying it. Like, yeah. <laughs> Can we all cry together? <laughs> I melted in the in the movie theater. Like I almost left the theater because I oh just I gosh. couldn't handle it. Because it hit me in the book, but I'm seeing it in real life with um, what was his name that uh, played John Coffey? Uh, Michael Clark Duncan. Michael Clark Duncan. Unbelievable. Was born to play that Absolutely. part of John Coffey. Absolutely. I think we have time for one more question. Oh, it was super fun. Uh, it's I, I'm really looking forward to the. They're going to do like a director's cut, I think, uh, or have, I, I has he already done one? I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, it, I actually had the DVD in my car right now that is about a week overdue to Redbox <laughs> because I I rented it to prepare for this panel and. I ran out of time to finish sure. watching it because I was preparing for Pentagon. So I, I hopefully got an, when I get back, I'll finish I got in it. a pretty heated debate with a good friend over it. Um, uh, Julio Diaz of uh, Pentagon fame. fame. He, um, <laughs> he didn't like... Um, w so, without really a spoiler, at a certain point in the movie, it shifts into being very much in the universe of The Shining. Before that, it's a, it's 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 Danny as an adult, and then so it's kind of a new story thing, and then it shifts into being in that universe, right? 
he didn't like that. He was like, oh, like, I've already seen The Shining. And I was like, but, like, it's a but sequel. <laughs> right, so I, I think it tricked his brain. Like, he was so into this new universe sure. that he was kind of disappointed that it went back to something he already knew. But I thought they nailed going back. I thought that the actors, yeah, like, the, 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 the actors that they made to replace them just really nailed it. Like, I thought, I, I... How great was Carl Lovely? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. You know? And if you guys haven't seen it, the movie Ready Player One, it's not a great movie, but it has this great recreation of the hotel. Oh, yeah. oh right. And you just, I, it's hard to explain. You just have to see the movie. So it's worth watching it just There's for that. Stuff. But it's appropriately... Yeah, Christine's even racing in that, if you see it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't <laughs> never notice that. You see Christine's in that, too. She it's appropriately creepy. Oh, wow. yeah. um, it's, it's got uh, enough of the Kubrick... Yeah. vibe nobody can you couldn't do Kubrick that's not a thing you could yeah. do you couldn't like think of all the tin cans that have some like obscure <laughs> uh, brand on them from the 1930s that make some point that he would make sure but you can like you know kind of go with his vibe and that was a good melding of like Stephen King's real yeah. story that he just wrote and then Kubrick's sort of vibe that everybody knows The Shining as so it was good Fantastic. Well, we are officially out of time, so let's give these guys a nice round of applause. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks again to Steve, Jason, Nick, Nathan, and Bill for taking part in that really fun panel, and thank you to Steve for giving me the opportunity to be the moderator for it. There will be other panels that you'll be hearing on future episodes of the podcast, and they'll be from the Pensacola Indie Fringe and Comedy Festival that took place this past January. But for next week's show, I'm going to be bringing a little bit of the Daily Diamond formula to the Derek Diamond experience. And for those who don't know what that means, since I started working from home, I started hosting a daily morning show called The Daily Diamond, where I discuss a top five list and people submit theirs and I read them on the air. But for next week's show, I'm going to be doing a live show again this upcoming Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Time, and it's going to be top 10 Disney animated movies. We're going strictly animated and Pixar films are not eligible for this list because I already did top 10 Pixar on the Daily Diamond. So strictly Disney animated films. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I've been having some great interaction with the list on the Daily Diamond. So hopefully uh, you guys will migrate over to the Derek Diamond experience next week for that. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, and YouTube. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. If you want to check out The Daily Diamond, it airs Monday through Friday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time on Facebook. And of course, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And I think that's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here this Tuesday on Facebook Live. (laughs) 